We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Part one of today's show. Let's get into it. The notion that that has existed for a while outside of Notre Dame circles is now something that I'm seeing more and more Notre Dame fans start to believe. And that is the notion that Notre Dame cannot win a national championship for whatever reason. And you know, what what are some of the primary reasons that we constantly hear? Oh, they can't win because academics. Right, you can't win at an academic institution because kids just don't care about academics anymore. And while that might be true with some players, I don't think that's true with most players. We, we talked about this last year. I mean, Keon Keeley, Peyton Bowen, those are guys that were not guys that didn't have interest in academics. They just have interest in other things. And and you know, Marcus Freeman has made this point as when he was a defensive coordinator. He's made this point as the head coach. It's something that I firmly believe is is to be true. Great football players, top football players, the needle movers, right? The guys that that everybody talks about. You can't win if you don't get insert player A, B, C, or D. And and you look at their track records and say, well, boy, this guy, this guy has good grades. He 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 does. He he would seem to fit the profile. Why won't he come to Notre Dame? Well, I would argue that number one, a lot still do, and I would argue that number two what Marcus Freeman has said in the past is you can't just sell academics. You also have to have a football product that matches because if you are a great business student, or if you are a great, if you are aspiring to be a doctor and you're the best in in your class in high school or your undergraduate, whatever the case may be, if you're trying to be a lawyer, whatever the case may be, whatever you're trying to do at the end of the day, you're going to look at yourself and you're going to say, okay, I want to be among the best in my field. And so when you're going down into whether I'm going to go to Notre Dame Business School, I'm going to go to Wharton, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there, you're going to look at what? You're going to look at things that are going to say, what schools do the best job of producing people into my chosen field? It's the same thing for big-time football players. And right now, academics is great for Notre Dame. It helps Notre Dame even get in the door, but the other parts have got to be better. So I think that's something that I look at and say, I think that's part of, to me, the conversation. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Then you get down to some of the other reasons that people give why they can't win. Uh, you can't recruit big-time players because of the location. Most of the big-time players in the South. I, I think that's a fair assessment to make as far as what makes it harder. It's not something that keeps Notre Dame from winning. You you look at, well, you can't win in the NIL era. You can't win in the transfer portal era. And my response to that is, is I still think Notre Dame fans are living in a bit of a fantasy world that Notre Dame does not compete in NIL, and they do. They are competitive in NIL, not just from the transfer portal process, but with their current players. And it's only getting better where they need to be. No, they're not where they need to be. Uh, are Are they maximized what their potential is? No, they're not. But I think they're also doing it in a bit of a sound way where they're just not hurling money at at players. Look, Notre Dame's never going to get into the buy-in players business. But guys, giving players upfront money now is no different than it was when Eric Dickerson was getting a a Trans Am from, or was a Corvette or a Trans Am or whatever it was from Texas A&M. This has been going on for a long time. Players that have their hand out for whatever reason, righteously or not, were never going to come to Notre Dame to begin with. I would argue that NIL has helped Notre Dame with players because they may not be offering the money that some other schools are, but the fact that they can now offer money. And basically if you're a four year player at Notre Dame, you'll at least get six figures from your, from your time here from an NIL package. And that's if you have no other NIL whatsoever to speak of. So this notion that Notre Dame's not competitive in the NIL, they may not be where they need to be, but NIL has actually helped Notre Dame. The transfer portal has helped Notre Dame freeing up scholarships, but also allowed them to go out and be competitive on the transfer market. Look at the guys they've brought in this year. Now, I I know that theirs is the graduate market, but that's okay. It still works. You talk about Sam Hartman, Javante Jean-Baptiste, Thomas Harper, Antonio Carter, uh, Spencer Sanders, and Ben Krim. Where would our expectations for Notre Dame be this season if there was no Sam Hartman, if there was no Thomas Harper or Antonio Carter? or Javante Jean-Baptiste, would probably be looking at this team a little bit different. Uh, I can assure you that there have been players that that have been offered big deals from other schools as far as upfront guaranteed money that they've, I'm talking at least one or two players that we know of that have been offered seven figures over the course of their careers that come out and say, hey, I, I'm, I'm not getting that number from Notre Dame, but I'm getting enough to where the other stuff about Notre Dame is going to make it to where I want to go to Notre Dame. And so that's basically where, where they're able to be competitive that they weren't. So I just think that's an, another misnomer. I think the, and Notre Dame is, is working to build it up. They're just, as Notre Dame does, they'll probably do it a little slower than others because they have a, we're, we want to do it right mentality. Agree or disagree with that. I think there's things they can still do better and that's part of the growing process, but they're competitive there. And then the other notion that I hear a lot, is well at the end of the day you you just kids are different these days and my, and my answer is in a lot of ways that's that's very true and it's it's not good and in other ways it's very true but it it actually is good for Notre Dame because when you look at players now players have access to so much more information now in the last especially 5 to 8 years 5 to 10 years I have I have seen for uh, when it when it comes to Notre Dame I have seen several instances where covering recruiting I should say where you see kids really start to think more about life after football than they did twenty years ago thirty years ago not all kids some a lot of kids are still short sighted but there's a lot more that you look at and say this kid is a lot more thoughtful than they used to be. Uh, Keon Keeley's decision to go to Alabama, I use this a lot. That was not a taking a payout situation. 
it was not an NIL situation. Am I saying he didn't get NIL? I'm not saying he didn't get NIL money. I'm saying that wasn't the decision for him. There were other schools that offered him a lot more money, NIL, than Alabama did. I can assure you that. What it came down to, though, is Keon was trying to think big picture, long term for what he wants to do with his life. And Alabama, he felt, was the right choice. So I think this notion that players don't care about the things that Notre Dame cares about. I had someone in the sh- chat the other day said, you know, Notre Dame can't get big time players because kids aren't going to stay long enough to uh, to care about the degree. And for football, that's just that's just nonsense. That's just not accurate. That's not factual. So many kids nowadays are staying for three years and getting degrees. Talked about Bryce Young in Alabama, got a degree in three years. So I just think there's a lot of things that we assume to be true and we assume to be reasons why Notre Dame can't win that I just don't think are legitimate reasons that they can't win. Some of them are legitimate in that it's harder, but that's always been true. The academic piece was true for in the 80s and the 70s and the 60s. You know, the notion that some players just don't care about academics, again, also true in the 80s uh, and, and that I know of in, in early 90s when Lou Holtz was landing number one classes every year. I just so I think there's a lot of misconceptions. I think the issues is more uh, is more about Notre Dame and whether or not Notre Dame has made the right choices, made the right decisions, hired the right coaches and taken the steps that they're capable of taking to compete for a championship. And so do I think it's harder for Notre Dame? Yeah, I do. I do think it's harder for Notre Dame. Does it, but it was harder for Notre Dame when Lou Holtz was in Notre Dame as well. It was harder for Notre Dame in the 70s under Air Parsegian as well. That's always been true. And to me, it, it it's not good evidence that Notre Dame can't win it, it, a championship when it comes to big-time college football. I also think here's another one that I've heard a lot lately. The fact that Notre Dame hasn't won in third, this will be third going into 30, this will be the 35th season if they don't win it this year. It's been 34 seasons since Notre Dame won a championship and now. And that's evidence they can't win. And so I have some some data for you to back up that that doesn't mean that they can't win. Clemson Tigers won a national championship in 2016. 34 seasons passed between that title and their previous title in 1981. The Georgia Bulldogs won a championship in 2021. Their previous championship was 1980, a streak of 40 seasons. LSU won a championship in 2003 under Nick Saban. It's their first title since 1958, a stretch of 44 seasons. Ohio State won a national championship in 2002 under Jim Tressel. Their previous national title was 1970. 31 seasons, and then they win another 11 seasons before their next title in 2014. Auburn went 52 seasons without a title, 1957 to 2010. Texas had 34 seasons between titles in 2005. Before that, their most recent championship was 34 seasons prior in 1970. So, Alabama, here's an example. Alabama from 19, they won a national championship in 1979. And then Saban won his first in 2009. In between then, there's some bad Alabama football. And they won one title in that stretch in 1992. So a stretch of 29 seasons, they won one title. So when you look at, at that, again, not a good example of saying, well, because they haven't won in X number of years, and and a lot of these that I pointed to are relatively recent titles. Clemson in 2016, Georgia in 2021, Ohio State in 2002, LSU in 2003, Auburn in 2010. Those are all teams, Texas, obviously, in 05. Those are all teams uh, that are 2,000-plus. I'm not even going back to to 50 years ago when team won in 1983 that hadn't won since whatever the case may be. I'm not even doing that. I'm going in the last 15, 20 years we're talking about. So I don't think that's evidence either. That just means that you have not done what you needed to do to win during that period of time. And I think that has a lot more to, to say about it. There's also some teams that people are telling me are going to you know, have a chance to win a title in the next few years that don't that are in the same boat as Notre Dame. Michigan is currently on a 25-year streak. They're going into year 26 right now uh, without a championship. Their last title was in 1997, and that was a half a title. And the 
championship before that was 49 seasons prior in 1948, and they're considered a blue blood. Penn State has not won a title since 1986. Tennessee has not won a title since 1998. The title before that for Tennessee was 30 seasons prior in 1967. USC is currently hasn't won a title in 18 years. They won back-to-back titles in 03 and 04. Their previous title before that was 1978. It's quite a stretch of, of, I think it was like 24 seasons of no title. And I keep hearing that Texas A&M is a team to look out for the next few years because they have a shot to win a title. Do y'all know that World War II had not even started for the United States the last time Texas A&M won a national championship? 1938. Yet I keep hearing people tell me that they're capable of winning a title, but Notre Dame is not. There's no evidence that Notre Dame can't. I think what we can all agree on is the very least is that it is harder at Notre Dame. And the, the current landscape, to me, does not necessarily make it harder. I think there's actually a lot of advantages for Notre Dame still that that we hear constantly from recruits that make it work. Uh, some and, and so when I give you the list of schools that haven't won, I'm also trying to look or teams that are on current stretches or teams that I think that I am hearing from people that are capable of winning championships. It's been a while for Nebraska. I don't care about Nebraska. No one's arguing that Nebraska can win a title again. I'm talking about teams that right now I hear people saying, oh, Tennessee, they're going to they're gonna have a chance to win, compete for a championship. USC, Penn State, Michigan, Texas A&M, teams like that that haven't won titles in a long time. So I, I, I think that here's, here's one thing that I, that I also looked at, right? And, and I'll get into this actually in a second. Let me kind of dive into the, the reasons why or the things that Notre Dame needs to do to win a title. So I, I think that – I think – Notre Dame can compete for a championship. I do. I the 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 it's been a long time thing is not evidence. That's a feeling. I gave the data. LSU, 44 years between titles. Georgia, 40. Ohio State, 31 before the Jim Trestles title. Clemson 34. Texas 34. Auburn 52. So to me, there's plenty of programs that have gone through droughts like Notre Dame has gone through. They've got to figure out answers to get out of the drought, right? That's the the the, the situation. So so what is what does that mean? And I think that one aspect that that we're, we're we need to talk more about is something that is true for most schools, and that is teams that win are teams that that have dynamic coaches in some form or fashion. Rarely do you see seasons like. 2010 for Auburn, even a 2013 for Florida State to a degree where you didn't really have a dynamic coach, but you had dynamic situation, dynamic players, dynamic quarterbacks, LSU in 2019. And so for me, when you look at a lot of these teams that had droughts, who broke the drought? It was a dynamic coach. Who broke the drought for Clemson? It was Dabo, Dabo Sweeney, who's a very dynamic coach. Who broke the 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 streak uh, streets for Ohio State? Jim Trestle, tremendous coach who'd won multiple national championships at the one AA level in Ohio. Georgia, Kirby Smart, forty years. Kirby Smart comes in, dynamic coach. Saw what he did at Bama, leads him to a championship. Texas with Mac Brown was that about the coach or was that more of a you went out and got a dynamic player. It's a, a quarterback. That's another factor. It's a factor in Auburn's titles, a factor in LSU's title in, in 2019. But in 2003, they won a title with Matt Mock, I believe, at quarterback. So what, what was it? They hired Nick Saban, right? He led them to that championship. So when you look at the situations where, where um, and somebody says, you've had situations where, like Larry Coker, won a title. Well, Larry Coker didn't win a title, really. Butch Davis did, right? Butch Davis built that team. Larry Coker's job was don't screw it up, right? You need dynamic coaches. What what got Miami turned around? Howard Schnellenberger, dynamic coach. Then Jimmy Johnson comes along. Jimmy Johnson was replaced by guys who weren't dynamic. They won off his, what he built. And then when his situation was basically run out of the program over time, they weren't good again. 
They bring in Butch Davis, got to coach for Jimmy. All of a sudden, they're good again. They've made bad hires since then. That's been their problem. So I think a big problem for Notre Dame is they just didn't hire the right coach. They hired a good coach in Brian Kelly that helped them get to a, a much higher level, a, a, a greater level of consistency, at least his last five years. But would you call Brian Kelly a dynamic coach that's going to go lead you to a championship? I do not. I do not think he's that type of coach. But he is a quality coach at the very least, and you saw what Notre Dame was capable of. Two playoff appearances, played for another championship. So a program that from 1997 to 2010 – with one exception, 05, was never even that. And that team lost three games. Wasn't a title contender because why? They didn't have great coaches. Is Marcus Freeman that coach? I don't know. I don't know. I don't have an answer to that. We're going to find out, right? But this isn't so much about an argument that Marcus Freeman's going to win a title at Notre Dame. Hope that he does. It's whether or not Notre Dame can do it. So that's step one right there. Notre Dame needs to have a dynamic coach in order to win a championship. The exception to that rule was Dan Devine. But I will point to you again, that was a guy that was a quality football coach that inherited Air Parsage's program. And that's why he was able to win. So I think that's step one. What is a dynamic what what does it mean to hire a dynamic coach? It's someone who can who who has the Ability to inspire his team, whether it be, and it can happen in all types of ways, a coach that is able to mentally get his teams ready to play in the biggest moments. I think when you look at the Urban Myers and the Steve Spurriers and coaches like that, that's what they're able to do. And, and I think Florida is a perfect example of how a program that otherwise is not a really great program can be a great program with the right coach. Some numbers for you. all know I love data. University of Florida started playing football in 1911. In that stretch since 1911, they've won 755 games. They've lost 438 games. They've had 40 ties. That is good for a winning percentage of 629. It's okay. Steve Spurrier, in his career at Florida, with 122 and 27 with one tie. It's an 817 win percentage, won a title in 96, played for t- two others. Lost to Nebraska, lost to Florida. Urban Meyer went 65 and 15, 813 win percentage, won two titles. All the other coaches that they've had since 1911 have combined to go 568 and 396 with 39 ties for a 586 win percentage. Florida's not a blue blood. They're not, they're not anything close to that. But twice in their career, in their in their tenures, over 100 years long, they've had a stretch of about a decade where they were a title contender. And both times with dynamic coaches who also had great success at other places. And that's basically where you look at and say, that's the impact that a great coach can have. What was different at Notre Dame in between the, 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 the Newt Rockney era, which their last title was in 1930, and the Frank Leahy era in 1943? Notre Dame had some years after that that weren't great, right? There were stretches where they just, they weren't a, a dominant football team. They had some good football teams. There's no doubt about that, but they weren't a dominant football team. And then they hire Frank Leahy, and Frank Leahy goes out, and he wins. Does a tremendous job. But Hank Anderson, he didn't win. Elmer Layden, he didn't win, not to the degree that we expect. You look at Hank, uh, excuse me, Hunk Anderson, 6-2-1, and 7-2, 3-5-2. It's right after Newt Rockney passed. Elmer Layden takes over, played for Rockney, did a nice job, went six and three, seven, one and one, six, two and one, six, two and one, eight and one, seven and two, seven and two. Had three top 10 finishes, did a nice job. And then in comes Frank Leahy, who was a phenomenal coach. And he wins, and they win four national championships during that stretch. And then you look at what happened with Coach Leahy. Uh, after the Coach Leahy era. So Frank Leahy wins the national titles in 1943. 
1946, 1947, 1949. In his last two seasons, Notre Dame finished third and second. And then after that, he gets replaced by Terry Brennan and then Joe Kaharick and then Hugh DeVore. And so Notre Dame wins a title in 1949. They win a stretch of about 14, 15 years under Terry Brennan, whose best year was was nine and one in his first year, and then progressively got worse, eight and two, two and eight, seven and three, six and four. Joe Joe Kaharick comes in and Notre Dame, they go five and five, two and eight, five and five, and five and five. Hugh DeVore coaches for a season, goes two and seven. And then in comes Eric Parsegian. And what does he proceed to do? He proceeds to be a great coach for the next 11 seasons. And Notre Dame wins two more national championships. And he he, he becomes a Hall of Fame coach, right? Last won a title in 73, went 10 and two, 10 and four, finished sixth overall, won the Orange Bowl in 74, and then retires. They win a title with Dan Devine, and then he's replaced by Jerry Faust, and Notre Dame is a bad program again. He gets replaced by Lou Holtz. They win a title. They go through a five-year stretch where they're an elite program, and then all of a sudden, they're not again, right? So what is it? What is, what is the, the, res, the resume for all that? Is it, is, it, is it Notre Dame inherently creates champions, or did they hire elite championship-caliber coaches that were able to build the program? It's about the coaches. Alabama didn't dominate because they have the best roster. They had the best roster because they had the best coach, right? Florida didn't win championships just because Florida is inherently a program capable of winning a title. They hired Steve Spurrier. They hired Urban Meyer. Outside of those tenures, Florida's an average mediocre program for 100 years. Georgia wins a title in 1980, and let's be real about that title in 1980. They won that title in 1980 because they had one of the best players to ever play the game of football, ever, in Herschel Walker. But what did Florida do outside of that? Or what did Georgia do outside of that? They were a good program under Vince Dooley for a long time. But what was their previous national title prior to Herschel Walker showing up? Guys, it was 1942. It was the year after Pearl Harbor was bombed. That was the last time Georgia won a title. This isn't a program that inherently is good. Why are they good now? Is it because of, you know, they pay play? Georgia's always been willing to do that. Is it because they have some inherent built-in benefit? No, it's because they hired a great coach who's done a great job and he's built a great staff. That's a that's the key ingredient, and that's part of being a great coach. A coach that can get you ready for the big games. That was a process of learning for Kirby Smart. What was the biggest issue that Kirby Smart had early in his career as a coach? It was, could his team win the big games? That was it. That was it. That was Kirby's problem. You know, they, they went eight and five in year one. And, you know, not not a great year. Not as good as Marcus Freeman's first year. I would, I would argue that Mark, Coach Freeman inherited a, a slightly better situation just from a winning standpoint. But I would argue that Coach Smart inherited a better roster. They got the next year. They beat Notre Dame. And that was a, a quality win. But they lose to Auburn that year. They they need they two overtimes against Oklahoma, but then they can't beat Alabama, right? They blow a lead against Alabama. And then they go out in 2018. Similar story. You know, they can't win the big game. They lose to LSU on the road. They lose to Alabama that year in the SEC championship game. Can't get the job done. Go out in 2019. Same deal. Loot drop a bad game to South Carolina, choke that game away. Uh go play LSU in its SEC title game, get smacked. Right. Can't again, can't win the big game. 2020, Georgia goes out, loses on the road to Alabama, loses in the in the uh, the 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 rivalry game against Florida. And again, once again, a talented Georgia team can't win a big game. But Coach Smart continued to evolve. He continued to grow. He continued to improve himself as a coach. You come out in 2021, you get upset by Alabama in the SEC title game in a year where they had a pretty strong regular season. You know, obviously have a big win against Clemson, beat, beat a highly ranked Kentucky team, beat a ranked Auburn team. Not a great schedule. Arkansas was decent that year. but you, And then you go out in the postseason and you beat Michigan, and then you get your rematch against Alabama, and you smack them, right? And then you come out in 2022. Not a ton of big games for Georgia last year, but the ones they had, they won. They won the big games. Not a Not a – incredibly challenging schedule, but look, Oregon was a quality team. They destroyed Oregon last year. They got those guys ready to play that game. They came into the Tennessee game, and I I really thought Tennessee could have beat Georgia last year, and they completely outcoached them and outplayed them and outhit them. They smacked LSU in the title game. They beat Ohio State in the semifinal. 
So the whole notion that you know, Coach Smart can't win the big games, all of a sudden it's gone, right? He changed it. And so I think it, it really comes down to every. there are a lot of programs capable of winning a title. But in every almost every scenario, they were built by a dynamic coach. And so this notion that there are inherent things in Georgia that allow them to win, that make it so easy, is not backed up by evidence. There's no evidence that Georgia had these built-in inherent aspects that just any coach can kind of come in there and win because from, from the end of World War II to 2021, they had one title in 1980 with one of the greatest players to ever play the game as the driving reason for driving force behind that title. That's Herschel Walker. They, it takes away from their greatness. Alabama has never had a stretch like this and oh, it's easy to recruit. It is. Okay. Well then why did they go from 1979 to 2009 and they only won one title? They had some pretty down years and during that tenure as well. So to me, it, it, it always boils down to, in almost every instance, you need a dynamic coach. Now, you have some teams that kind of catch lightning in a bottle with the right player, LSU in 2019, Florida State 2013, with a great roster, weak schedule, great quarterback, 2010 with, with Cam Newton. But you need a dynamic coach, and Notre Dame hasn't had that type of coach in a long time. We don't know if Marcus Freeman is going to be that coach. I hope he is. I know that all the Notre Dame fans in here hope that he is. But we don't know who that's if he's going to be that guy. A great coach has got to be a closer on the recruiting trail. And a great coach has to be able to build consistency. And I'm not talking about consistency of winning and losing. As you all know where I'm coming from on this. Consistency on the football field comes from consistency in how you go about your business on a daily basis. The process over, over the end result. The, if your focus is on the end result, and not on the process, you're never going to get the results you're capable of. You have to be focused on the process. And the process is going to be the key. Can Marcus Freeman do that? Again, we don't know. But you can't tell me that Notre Dame is not capable of it. I'll give you a couple other reasons why I think that this notion that Notre Dame can't compete for a championship because of recruiting is also something that I reject. I'll explain that here in a second as well. We have seen in Notre Dame, I would argue, at least two Notre Dame teams that were a player here, a coach there away. I was talking with a former Notre Dame player today. I think it was a former Notre Dame player that I had this with. It might have been some, he and I might have been talking about something else. But I was having a conversation with him or it was somebody recently that was affiliated with Notre Dame. And we, and we were sitting there talking. And it was the question that I raised was, what happens for Notre Dame in 2015 if you could just make two changes, zero to the roster? I'm not talking about Malik being healthy. I'm not talking about Jaron Jones not, Jaron Jones not getting hurt. I'm not talking about Torian Folsom not getting hurt. Durham Smythe not getting hurt. John Crawford not getting hurt. None of that. CJ Prosize getting hurt late in the year. If only two things were different. Matt Bayless was running the strength program and Mike Elko was a defensive coordinator. Those are the only two differences on that team. That team could have played with anybody and they did. I mean, they took the, the national runners up down to the wire. They took a great Stanford team that finished in the top five that year down. I mean, should have won that game. They shot themselves in the foot multiple times, including fumbling Deshaun Kaiser fumbling late in the first half when they're about to you know go down and drive and score. When you look at when you look at uh, late in the game, obviously you score with thirty seconds left, give it away, let them go back down and score. Then you look at what they did against Ohio State with basically a, t- a third of their starting roster out, still were at least competitive in that game. I mean, it's a twenty-eight. You, you never thought Notre Dame was going to win it, right? I'm not saying that, but with all those injuries, they stayed in that game because they had dynamic players. That team was capable of it. We had I had a, the other conversation that I asked was this what does Notre Dame look like in 2017 if they have A.J. Dillon and Josh Adams as your one-two punch and running back? What does their 2018 team look like if they've got A.J. Dillon and Dexter Williams as your one-two punch and running back? Well, here's the thing. I could play this game and say, well, what if, and I've done this before, 
what if in 2017 Notre Dame had Lamar Jackson instead of Brandon Wimbush? And no disrespect to Brandon Wimbush. I think Brandon Wimbush would tell you that Notre Dame would have been better with Lamar Jackson, I would think. But that's not a realistic thing. They were never in the game for Lamar Jackson, right? Who who knows if they would have been able to get Lamar Jackson to Notre Dame if, if they even wanted him. I, I don't know have the answer to that. But here, here's my point. If you just look at guys that they should have had, why is an AJ, why did AJ Dillon go to Boston College? Because the running backs coach at Notre Dame at the time told AJ Dillon, you're a linebacker, not a running back. So then that linebacker goes to Boston College and rushes for almost 1,700 yards as a true freshman. That Notre Dame team in 2017, do we really think that they lose to Georgia in game two if they have A.J. Dillon and Josh Adams playing running back in that game? I, I, I don't know. The, they lost by one without A.J. Dillon. Who, who knows what that team turns out to be? Even if they lose to Miami, if they beat Georgia and lose to Miami in a close game, they're probably still a playoff team. I'd have liked to see that Notre Dame team with Josh Adams and and A.J. Dillon against teams in the playoff that year. So we've seen Notre Dame put rosters together that were really dynamic. And the interesting thing is Brian Kelly recruited a lot more elite players in the first six or seven years of his tenure than he did the last few for those who obsess over recruiting rankings. When Clemson beat Notre Dame in 2015, Notre Dame had a higher ranked recruiting class in four of the five previous seasons and they were usually by a a, a significant amount here's another factor for you clemson notre dame 2015 teams notre dame had more players that played on that team and i don't mean guys that were redshirt freshmen or freshmen that didn't play i'm talking about guys that were in the rotation and played some level of significant role notre dame had more players from their 2015 team taken in the first three rounds of the draft than clemson did What was the difference? Better coaching and a more dynamic quarterback. So my point is Notre Dame is not as far away as as people think that they are, including some Notre Dame fans. And and I had an Ohio State fan today on Twitter said, and it was was a very fair conversation. He wasn't trying to flame, but he said, Ohio State's light years ahead of Notre Dame. And, and there's a reason why that perception exists because of how Notre Dame has been smacked in the mouth every time they've played for a title. But you can't tell me they're light years ahead when Notre Dame has played for the title three times in the last 11 seasons, right? They're certainly a better program. There's no question that Ohio State's a better program right now. Why? Because they made great coaching hires. Jim Tressel and then that little bridge year with Luke Fickle, Urban Meyer, two Hall of Famers. Is Ryan Day a dynamic coach? I don't know the answer to that yet. We'll find out. I think Ryan and Ryan Day, Jim Harbaugh was right about one thing. And I think even Ohio State fans should be willing to admit this. Ryan Day, it, from a coaching standpoint, was absolutely born on third base, right? Because of what he inherited for Bourbon Meyer. He inherited an established program. And so it comes down to the fact that is Notre Dame where they need to be? Absolutely not. But the notion that I reject in this entire conversation is the notion that Notre Dame is as good as they can be under Brian Kelly. That was as good as they can be. And the answer is, I just don't agree with that. There's too much evidence to suggest that that's not true. Self-inflicted wounds on the recruiting trail self-inflicted wounds from a hiring personnel standpoint. Uh, There's too many opportunities that Notre Dame had to make good decisions that hurt them. You go back to the 2012 game. Somebody mentioned this game in the chat. I know for a fact that Luke Keekley really wanted to be at Notre Dame. I shouldn't say fact. I was told by somebody very close situation that he flat out wanted to be at Notre Dame. So I actually took the initiative, and this is why I don't really do that anymore, to reach out to Notre Dame and 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 through a contact that I had, say, hey, you need to tell them that this kid wants to come there. Notre Dame, John Tenuta said, no, we don't think he's good enough. We like Dan Fox better. So Notre Dame in 09 could have had Luke Keekley and Manti Teo in the same class. I would have liked to have seen Notre Dame in 2012 matched up against Alabama with Luke Keekley and Manti Teo on the same team. I, I would have loved to have seen that. That would have been a lot of fun to watch. So the point is, there's been plenty of opportunities for Notre Dame to go out there and do what they needed to do. They just have not been able to make the right choices. There's always, they're good enough here, but not here. 
And then they're good enough here another year, but not there. And so this notion that they're just not, they're not, they're as good as they can be is, is part of that uh, of one of my biggest frustrations with Brian Kelly was Brian Kelly spent so much time convincing Notre Dame fans that this is the best that it can be that I think a lot of people bought it. And, and I think a lot of people bought that this, the roadblocks are just too hard. It's just too challenging. And I don't agree that they are. I think they're roadblocks, uh, but I would say they're, 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 they're not roadblocks. Brian Kelly convinced you that they're roadblocks. I will convince you that they're speed bumps. There are things you have to work to get over. You have to have a plan to get over them, but they're not things that prevent you from getting there, right? And so I just, I, I reject that notion. I think if, if there are aspects that Notre Dame must do as an institution where they can provide better support, we've talked about those before. I don't want to repeat, repeat those. There are things Marcus Freeman needs to do to go out there and improve. And I think a perfect example of what I'm talking about is go look at offensive recruiting the last two years. Go look at it. You're recruiting quarterback at a high level. I'm going to have a little tidbit for y'all here on the message board about a certain player in the 2023 class, a freshman class, that that is really doing well this, this summer. There's a lot of excitement about that class on offense with the receiver class and Jeremiah Love and the quarterback and the offensive line. The 24 class is loaded on offense, even with the loss of Isaiah Canyon. It's a really, really good offensive class. And what do they have to sell? To, to sell? What's the product that the Notre Dame offensive coaches have had to sell? We've had a very mediocre offense, and we haven't had a lot of guys drafted in the NFL. Our last two leading receivers – or actually our last three leading receivers at the wide receiver position. No, actually, Brayden Lindsey was not Notre Dame's leading receiver last year, I don't believe. Let me just look at that real quick. Y'all know I like to try to have my data to be correct. No, he was not. He was not. He should have been, but he was not. So Notre Dame's last two leading receivers that went to the NFL didn't get drafted. Kevin Austin in 2021, Javon McKinley in 2020. And so Notre Dame hasn't had a first-round draft pick since the 2016 draft. And you say, well, why do they keep getting these really talented receivers? Well, how are they getting these really talented running backs? Notre Dame hasn't had a, uh, I think the highest drafted running back they've had in the since like what Jerome Bettis was, and you had Dexter Williams in the sixth round, Carvin Williams in the fifth round. Uh, I, when was the last time Notre Dame had a big time running back get drafted? Yet they're out there recruiting big time running backs right now. Kedron Young is one of the best running backs Notre Dame has signed in ten years. And if it wasn't for him, I'd be talking a lot more about Aeneas Williams. Jeremiah Love is a, was a top 50 caliber player last year. Based on what? What, what is Notre Dame selling? They're, whatever it is, it's working. And the, and the point that I'm making is you had a dynamic staff. You have a dynamic recruiting staff at those positions. And they're able to have a consistent message. And the message is being received. Now, eventually, they're going to have to put a good product on the field, right? We can all agree on that. But the message is working. The defensive staff has a much better situation to sell, but they're not selling it very well. So the recruiting isn't going very well. So that's the last part is the, the thing that's going to determine if Marcus Freeman can, can be that guy. He has to have the other traits that we talked about, the ability to prepare teams to mentally be ready to play, the, the consistency, all that other stuff that goes into being a great coach. But the one thing that we have to learn about with Coach Freeman is, can he make the tough decisions to get the staff where it needs to be. And again, I'm not talking about firing people. I'm talking about tough decisions are not always firing people. Sometimes it's having a very stern come to Jesus moment with an assistant coach. And that can be it too. But the answer is it has to get corrected. And we'll dive more into that in the next part of the conversation. But I, I look at this situation right now and I really believe, and I could be wrong, when you look at the way Notre Dame recruited from about – 17 to 21 with a great level of in inconsistency, an unwillingness to truly fight for the big time players. The, the staff lost a little bit of ground and we're seeing that in the NFL draft to a degree. The transfer portal has saved them in a couple instances. Notre Dame would have not been an 11, one team in 2021, if not for Jack Cohn. Simple as that. They would not have been the team that they will be this year if not for the transfer portal because of those recruiting woes. But Coach Freeman is, in a lot of instances, fixing those. 
if he can take that next step to make sure that both sides of the ball are getting there, then then he'll he'll have that. And I think he's capable of it because being a, a great closer on the recruiting trail is great for a head coach. But in order to close, you have to be in position to where you can win that battle, and that's going to come down to your assistance. And so we're going to find out if we win it. But more of the story is, folks, I know that there's a lot of frustration. It's been 34 seasons. This is going to be year 35. But Clemson fans had been saying that for a long time as well. 1981, they win a title. They don't win another one until 2026. Ohio State wins one in 1970. They don't win another one until 2002. Georgia wins one in 1980. They don't win another one for 2021. So Notre Dame is still six years away from being where Georgia was going into 2021 when it comes to drought on a championship. Six years away from being there. They are mm, 10 years away from being where LSU was and their title drought before Nick Saban showed up. So I'm not saying I want to wait 10 more years, but what I'm saying is, is that should not lead you to, to lose hope that Notre Dame can be that team. You can't. Because what happens is, is when the fan base loses hope, the fan base lowers expectations. All of a sudden, 9-3 and three becomes a something to get excited about. 10-2 and two is something to get excited about. You beat Ohio State but you get your butt kicked by USC and Clemson. Hey, but at least we beat Ohio State. You start getting those ex- those excuses. Brian Kelly was the master of that, right? Well, hey, we lost every good team we played, but we were competitive with all of them. Remember that when you said that in 2015? Notre Dame went one and three against ranked teams that year. Only win, Navy. But we were convinced that that was great because they were close wins. We heard the Notre Dame head football coach say after the 2020 playoff that, hey, we lost to Alabama by fewer points than Ohio State lost to Alabama. And so you start you start lowering the bar about what this team can be. And I think some Notre Dame fans have embraced it. My hope is that I can convince you to get rid of that. Because once we embrace a lower standard, then the school has the ability to accept and embrace a lower standard. The administration can do that if they so choose. The football coach, if you have someone like a Brian Kelly, is more willing to say, you know what, 10-2 and two is pretty good. And, and, and um, I think that part of the reason that this is my opinion, I have not been told this by anybody. I'm just trying to read between the tea leaves. I think if Jack Swarbrick's wanted his legacy to be for Notre Dame to be what it was under Brian Kelly, which is just consistently good, he would not have hired Marcus Freeman as head coach. If Jack Swarbrick cared about just being good and then occasionally making that run for your playoff team, which gets smacked, he'd have made a hard run at Luke Fickle, which he didn't. He'd have made a hard run at Dave Clawson. He'd have made a hard run at several coaches that fit that mold. Good quality coaches that could come to Notre Dame and win you nine, 10 games a year and occasionally get you to a playoff berth. You don't hire Marcus Freeman to do that because he's the coach that's least qualified to get you there. He's the ultimate boomer bus coach. If Marcus Freeman's not ready for this job, your program takes a step back. If Marcus Freeman does have the chops that I believe Jack Swarbrick thinks that he has, then you know we may stub our toe for a year or two, hopefully only one. But if this guy is who I think he is, he's going to take us to the next level. We don't know if he's right or wrong about that. But I believe that Jack Swarbrick believes that because I think Jack Swarbrick understands to win at Notre Dame, you need a dynamic coach. And I think that he believes in time Marcus Freeman can be that coach. I just hope it's not too much time. So that's my hope is that as Notre Dame fans, we can get rid of this notion of you can't win. We can embrace the challenges. The challenges are what make Notre Dame unique. It's the difference between a head coach like Brian Kelly, who constantly complains about how the academic rigors and the admission standards make it harder at Notre Dame, and a coach like Lou Holtz, who says, no, fellas, that's not only not an excuse, those things are why you will be a champion. Go talk to Notre Dame players from the Lou Holtz era. 
they'll tell you that part of the, the things that they had to do away from the football field are things that those coaches sold as if you buy into this, this is going to actually make you better, make you stronger. Because, hey, you think anybody else is out here doing what you're doing? Do you think anybody else is having to take midterms the way you are, taking class these classes and taking this course load and putting in this work and doing this and doing that? Nobody is doing that. Nobody's doing that. But what he said is, this isn't, this isn't something that's going to keep you from beating Miami. These are the things that are going to be why you beat Miami. And if Marcus Freeman can be that guy and be that type of coach that says, no, 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 no. We're not using that as an excuse anymore. We're not using the whole, well, our kids have traveled a lot. That's why we're not playing well. That's why we lost to Miami. That's why we lost to Stanford. That's why we did this. Our kids were worn down. No, 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 no. This is why you're going to win because nobody's working like you are. If Coach Freeman and his staff can embrace that, then I believe he'll win. If he's not willing to embrace that and he allows those excuses to kind of creep up, then he'll falter and he'll fall short. And then hopefully his replacement will be that guy. But I believe Jack Swarbrick thinks he is that coach. We'll find out if he's right or wrong. I don't know the answer to that. But I am I am very much looking forward to finding out. Headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.